Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, September the 20th, 2023. A couple of weeks ago, I thought we did a great show. And when I say we did a great show, my guest did the great show. Uh, they're the stars, not me. Uh, with the Australian writer Anna Funder on what she called the double think of the patriarchy. Anna is a very distinguished writer. She's the author of Stasi Land and a new book called Wifedom, a brilliant book, actually, on uh, the subtitle of the book is Mrs. Orwell's Invisible Life on the power imbalance between, in the relationship between George Orwell and his wife, Eileen. She's, um, she's saying some things nobody wants to hear for people watching. Here's a photo of Anna in London outside the BBC underneath Orwell's statue with the words, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. And I think uh, Anna is telling a lot of us what we don't want to hear about George Orwell, of course, a great hero amongst progressives in terms of his relationship with his wife, Eileen, who he pretty much wrote out of the picture. Orwell's legacy intellectually, of course, is about power more than anything else and the way in which power is abused in the modern age politically. Uh, he's the author of Animal Farm, Anna Fanda, um, as I said, she's an Australian writer, um, notes in her book that the idea of Animal Farm was probably his wife's, uh, Eileen. Um, and of course, 1984, perhaps the most powerful and influential book on the abuse of power in the 20th century. Well, we're back to power today with another Australian female writer, Kemi Nekfapil. She has a new book out, Power. A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. Very different kind of book from Anna Funder's Wifedom, but it's uh, perhaps the reverse. Uh, Eileen uh, O'Shaughnessy, George Orwell, the Eric Blair's wife, was full of apology. There's nothing apologetic about Kemi or her new book, Power. And she is joining us from New York, where she's on um, book tour. Kemi, congratulations on the new book. How would you define power? What does this word mean? It's a great question to start off with, Andrew, because that was obviously something that I need to explore for myself before I started writing the book. And I have to share as well that Animal Farm is one of the one of my favourite books that I've ever read. And when I was at drama school, I actually had the honour of playing Napoleon in Animal Farm. So I'm very well versed in that form of power, that power over, and some of us are better than others. Um, but I went to the Oxford Dictionary first for the definition of power. And the Oxford Dictionary tells us that power is the ability or capacity to do something in a particular way. And this is where it might speak now to Anna Funder's book, because we have this idea that there's only one form of patriarchy, one form of power, which speaks to the patriarchy. And all of the isms can be a form of power over as well. I had the absolute pleasure of training with Dr. Brene Brown in 2018 and have been facilitating her work um, around the world as a dare to lead facilitator. And she talks about this idea of power over, which we see often, this idea that power is a scarce resource. If I have it, then I can't give it to anybody, that I must keep it and I will do anything I can to hold on. And we see that in, you know, 
country leaders all around the world, but we also see it in offices, we see it in teams, we see it in families. And so in writing this book, I wanted to redefine power and really bring it back to that core definition, which is power is the ability to do something in a particular way, which means that more of us have power than we may have originally believed. So where do we get power from? I know that that's the core of your book, Kemi. Um, one of the, the saddest stories, it's the end of the book of, of power of, um, of uh, Anna Funder's wifedom, is the story that Eileen O'Shaughnessy seemed to have so little self-confidence and faith in herself uh, that in order to save money, she went to a really cheap surgeon uh, for a condition she had, and she died under the knife. Mm. Uh, she had no power internally. Is that what your book is about? Bringing out, building power internally so that there no longer will be Eileen O'Shaughnessy's in the, in the 21st century? I think for those of us that have the privileges to be able to tap into a form of internal power, you know, I work with leaders from all around the world, including village leaders in Uganda with the Hunger Project. Now, those leaders do not necessarily have the external resources that I do, and yet they have a level of internal power and a level of agency. And some would argue or some would debate that maybe Eileen Shaughnessy, the fact that she even went to the surgeon, that she had a sense of agency. And some would say, well, she didn't have a choice because she was obviously sick. And, and we don't even need to look back to see how some women struggle to have agency in their own life. But yes, this book is an I this book is based on an idea that there is an internal form of power that many of us have. But then with leadership as well, because as an executive coach, I work with leaders. So it's looking at what are the form of powers that leaders are bringing into organizations and into companies and into their businesses that actually elevates the power of those around them instead of diminishing the power of those around them. Because depending on our privileges, depending on where we were born, depending on the birth lottery, um, depending on our education, which is another form of privilege, will depend on the level of agency and power that we believe that we have. But for myself, as someone with immense privileges, I know that I can uplift the power of other people by the way that I engage with them, because I get to do it in a particular way. The subtitle of the book, Kemi, is A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. I don't want to make this a show about George Orwell. But there was something about him that made Eileen, his wife, very apologetic. Um, you note that power isn't a zero-sum game. But one of the reasons, I'm guessing, in your mind, and I think I would probably agree with this, that uh, the, the, the women tend to be increasingly apologetic is because of men, because men make them feel apologetic. Is, is there any truth to that? Well, it's funny, I'm laughing because I'm English. So, you know, we say sorry as soon as we work in the room, walk in the room um, and apologise for, for many things. Um, so I think there are definitely cultural overlays there. And yes, I wouldn't say that it's men. I would say that it's patriarchy. You know, I have been doing my work long enough and I gave birth to a son and I'm married to a man to know that patriarchy doesn't serve men either. It only gives them a very small box of which to operate in. And being able to have access to our feelings and our emotions and our creativity is incredibly powerful. And that is one excess of power that maybe men have been told historically they're not allowed to have. And so, yes, I believe that patriarchy can be the reason why many women walk around feeling 
that they have to apologize for where they are. I'll give you an example. I was working with a client actually just a couple of weeks ago. She's a barrister in Australia. She was in court and the judge was male and the nine other barristers in that case were male. And once the case had finished, the judge looked at her and said, sorry, looked at everybody in the room. She was the only female and said, thank you very much, guys. Um, great work today. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow in the courtroom. And it was my husband, who's also a barrister, said to me that night, he goes, oh, it was just so awkward because, you know, she was the one woman. He didn't speak to her. She had probably done, you know, she probably worked harder than any of us because she was female and because of her role in the case. And my husband said to me, I'm just not sure if I should say anything to her. You know, and I said, you have to acknowledge what was going on in that room because she knows what was going on in that room you get to use your privilege and your power as a white male in that room and none of the other males noticed to actually just say to her i saw what happened i don't know how that feels but i appreciate the work that you're doing and i see you so there once again is this idea of how do we get to use our privileges to uplift the power um, of another one thing i say in the book is that um being feeling guilty about our privileges is boring it's not powerful the P word seems maybe we just get rid of the P word: power, privilege, patriarchy. I know you break the you break uh, the letters down. Um, you uh, in the book and in your theory, P is for presence, O is for ownership, W is for wisdom, E is for equality, R is for responsibility. Do you want to pick out one of those letters in particular? If we can only keep one of the letters, what is it, Cami? If we can only keep one of the letters, that's a tough question, Andrew. I'm. It's going to be between presence and responsibility, and you said let's keep out the P word, so I'll go with responsibility. Um, but I'm pretty deft at actually being able to bring them all in. Responsibility is last, and for me as a coach, it is my job to walk alongside the people that I work with, and it's not my job to give advice. I think that's what our family and friends give us, which is unsolicited advice. And none of us like that. But my role as a coach is to ask questions and to mirror back to my clients and share stories. And one thing I know for sure is that when we take responsibility for our lives, that is when we give ourselves power. Now, it does not in any way mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that there are not obstacles or challenges. It doesn't mean that we may not feel like we're in the mess of it. It doesn't mean that we might sometimes feel like we've lost our way because we've decided to take responsibility or that everything we have built or everything that we have believed in our life is no longer going to serve us. And that can be incredibly heartbreaking. And yet I know from my own personal story and for the people that I work with, that when we take full responsibility for our lives and don't sit there thinking that somebody else is going to save us, that is when we really step into our power and our agency. You've mentioned a couple of times, Kemi, that you're a, a coach. What does that mean? And, and what kind of clients do you have? And what, what exactly are you coaching? So it depends. So I work with people on an executive and a personal level. So I work with people in all industries. I mainly work with female leaders, but I also work with, you know, a few good men when they arrive because they want a different kind of coach. So I work with corporates. I work with entrepreneurs. I don't work with in-corporate organizations where they, you know, maybe employees will be given a coach. I work with people that want to do the work for themselves and then I don't have to report back to their manager or their boss or to the C-suite. So I work with CEOs. I work with entrepreneurs. I work with people on the front line. I work with people in education, in law. I want to have or I do have a diverse practice because I, I want to live a diverse life. And coaching is 
it's an it's an interesting question because some people are not really sure what coaching is compared to therapy or a consultancy. Now, my definition of it as a international um, federation credentialed coach is that it's my job to ask questions so that the client can work out for themselves what it is they want to do next or who it is they are being or who it is they want to become. So I will work with clients for at least six months because I want to create a deep relationship with them. And I get the privilege of hearing things about, you know, who they are, where they are, what's impacting them, where they're succeeding, where they're not quite where they want to be. And I'll ask questions. I will mirror back to them. So maybe we're four months in and they'll say to me, oh, this promotion's come up at work. And I will say to them, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. You've done the work. But what we spoke about two months ago is that you were afraid about getting a promotion at work because it was going to mess with your child's, you know, care needs or whatever it was. So I'm kind of the person that's there for them that is objective, that cares about them, but has an objective eye on what is happening for them. And so, you know, it's a privilege to be a coach because I have to be trusted by my clients. I create safety for them to work out how they want to live their lives and how they want to lead in the world. Are you expensive? I mean, would you charge by the hour? It depends. Different coaches charge different um, different fees depending on their experiences, depending on their but demographic. For you, for you, I mean, is, is, is this the kind of thing that anyone could afford? Does it cost thousands no, of dollars? Not anyone can afford, no, not anyone can afford me. I have worked very hard to get into the um, level of coaching and clients that I work so with. You're, so a, you're a top coach. Related. You're a luxury coach. Uh, and, and asking all those questions, Kemi, is one of the reasons I think why you're such a a top podcaster too. Your your shift series is one of the top podcasts. Certainly uh, has a larger audience than my show. So there is some value <laughs> to being a coach and asking questions. It can lead to good podcasting. We are talking with the great Kemi Nekvapal, the author of Power: A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. She certainly is unapologetic in her approach to life, which I think is extremely healthy. Uh, I'd like to see George Orwell married to Kemi for a few minutes. That oh my. Sort the old man I, out. I, if I, we can I, dig I, him up, I, if we can I, dig him up, Kemi, we'll, we'll, we'll give him a good shake and, and we'll see what happens to Orwell if he spent a few minutes with Kemi. So we're going to take a short break now um, and I'm uh, going to come back. I want to talk more specifically about the book, but I just want to thank our Sponsor Liberty's Quarterly, an excellent publication. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberty's is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberty's is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're talking with Kemi Nekvapol, the author of a really interesting new book, uh, Power on Power, particularly on female power, a woman's guide to living and leading without apology. Let's drill down, Kemi. Let's get specific. I can't afford you as a coach, so maybe I can get some free advice now, or at least women can get some free advice. I know you you have some strong feelings on on the money questions. Um, without uh, how is money and and this goes without saying how is money and money management connected with power? 
We know historically that many women have, well, you know, originally when women weren't in the workforce, women were at home and the man was going out to work. And so that meant that maybe the woman was managing the money at home, but she didn't necessarily have the access to the money or she had access to the money, but it was very controlled by the man, not because the man was a bad man, just because that was, that was, was how it was done. But what is happening more and more now is that families are very different. So families are blended. People, there are a lot more single people than they've ever been before. And I know for myself that one of the ways that I definitely stepped into my power was understanding money. And this isn't about how much money one earns as a woman. I don't know what the statistics here are in America, but in Australia in particular, I think it's something like once a woman reaches 50 years old, she has a 52% chance of being homeless. Because if that relation, if she was in a heterosexual relationship and that relationship ends and the man had control of the money, um, you know, that she is going to be at a disadvantage and will find herself powerless, literally, in being able to find herself a home. And so for women to have agency and take responsibility over their money is something that I talk about in the book, because I know that it is an incredible way for us to have agency in our lives. And I really want to stress this isn't about how much money one has in the bank. It's knowing your money. It's knowing about taxes. It's knowing about interest. It's knowing about investments, if that is something that you can, you know, um, step into. It's knowing about savings. It's knowing about all of those things that it can be very easy for us to just kind of decide that's too hard. I'll let him do it. Or, you know, a lot of us, you know, I can for myself, Early on in my career, I was like, oh, I don't know about money. And look, even listen to my voice, you know, like, I don't know about money. And then I married my husband and I sort of realized very early on that I just kind of gave over the money to him. Before I met him, I was a professional actor working with the Royal Shakespeare Company, working on TV. I had a great income and I was managing my own money. But yet as soon as I married him and I became a mum, suddenly I did give all of my power away to him. He didn't ask it for that, but he also was part of the patriarchal system of, well, this is how it's supposed to happen. Like I know about it and she doesn't and that's how it works. And so that was definitely a moment, you know, quite a topic of contention in our marriage, which it is for many couples. And it's something that we've really worked on and I... I'm incredibly proud of the work that I have done myself to be able to take ownership of my money. And also, if a client brings it to me, I don't, I'm not a consultant. So I don't go to clients and say, this is what you need to do, A, B, C, or D. That's what a consultant does. My job is to ask questions. So if a client never speaks about money, it never comes up in our sessions. It's their session. But if it comes up, I will ask questions around what did you observe about money growing up? What are the stories, internal stories that you have about money? What do you see about money? Because that gives me a lot of information to maybe then mirror back to the client some of the actions that they may want to take around their own power in regards to money and financial decisions. Money is, of course, one kind of scarcity in the world. Another kind of scarcity is time. And I know you have some strong feelings on that front as well. Um, you argue that we need to be anti-busy. Certainly, certain kinds of women, I don't want to obviously generalize here, but certain kinds of women seem to be, uh, shall we say, I don't know, traumatized by having too much to do. And certainly that has become gendered. We've done shows with women executives suggesting that traditional corporate structures result in, in women doing the busy work and being encouraged mm -hmm. to do the busy work. So mm -hmm. clearly power is emancipating oneself from 
busy work. Is, is that fair, Camel? I think it, well, it actually goes, you know, I don't want to simplify it. It does go back to those structures. And it's an interesting statement as well that you just made about, you know, money is scarce in the world. I don't believe money is scarce in the world. There is a lot of money in the world. It's just that it sits with a particular group of people. And I think, you know, this idea, you know, there's a phrase around time where people will say, oh, everyone, everyone has the same, Beyonce has the same amount of time as everybody else, to which quite a few people are like, uh, no, that's not true because Beyonce actually has financial resources where she can outsource her time. But, you know, let's have a look at the corporate structure. Women were never meant to be in the workplace. You know, I have to remind my clients of that all the time. Those days when it feels too hard, it's because every single time that a woman turns up to work, especially in male-dominated industries, we have to remind ourselves that we were never meant to be in this room. We were not meant to sit at this table. I'm supposed to be at home at the kitchen sink. And when I share that with clients or with audiences when I'm speaking, there's a level of exhalation because it stops the individual woman thinking there's something wrong with me. Why can't I handle why I'm doing the busy work and I'm doing a full time work and I'm looking after elderly parents and I've got a full time job It's because we were not meant to be a part of these structures. So they've never worked for us. Now, I don't think that everyone should be anti busy necessarily. I personally know that I am not a very pleasant person when I'm overwhelmed. I become resentful and angry. I know that I um, am not a good coach if I'm overwhelmed and tired. So for me, if clients are coming to me to look at how do I manage my time better, I go straight to values work. It's looking at what actually matters to you in your life. And you could imagine, Andrew, it's very rarely, you know, it, it's not the superfluous things. It's not about what I value the most in my life is how my life looks to others. Generally, what people will say is what matters to me is doing meaningful work. What matters to me is looking after my family. What matters to me is being a part of a community. And so once we look at their values, that is the place that I start where then my client can start to look at if they're the things that matter to me, what are the things that I can allow to fall away? Or what are the things that I can defer to somebody else? Or what are the things that I can delegate? Especially when it comes to leadership, especially CEO, they cannot be doing busy work. They need to be looking at the vision. So then we'll be looking at what are the things that I can let go of so I can actually do the work that I'm here to do. I asked you probably an unfair question earlier. I asked you to choose between your five kids and choose one of the words that you like the most, which is R, P-O-W-E-R. Power is for P for presence, O for ownership, W for wisdom, E for equality, R for responsibility. You chose responsibility. But there's another word that's come up a few times in this conversation, which uh, can't be included in P-O-W-E-R. It's the A word, agency, Kemi. Tell me a little bit about agency. Is that uh, the core way that anyone can live, and particularly women, without apology? Is that the core to personal power in the 21st century, having agency? I think agency is a gift that we give to ourselves and we give to others. And it's something that I stepped into very late in life. So I was born in the UK. I was one of the tens of thousands of Nigerian children that were, you know, the children of middle-class Nigerian parents that was fostered into white families. So for me, I had five families by the time I turned 13 years old. 
And so for me, I had no agency. I had no sense of who my new mum and dad were going to be. I had no sense how long I would be with each family that I was in. And my family made that decision. My parents made that decision for the same reason that many parents make decisions. What is the best educational outcome for my children? Now, obviously, and I know that you speak about this in your podcast, we can't ignore the impact of colonisation, that my birth parents thought the only education worth its salt is an English education. And if that means separating from my children and putting them into a different culture, that is what I'm going to do. And that is something that still happens now within many different cultures. But obviously in Nigeria, that was very prevalent in the 70s, 80s, sorry, 50s, 60s and 70s. And so I grew up with no sense of agency. As a black girl at school, the only black girl at school, I grew up very much with an idea of I have no power here. I am lower and less than everyone else around me. And I know that our origin story is always linked to the work that we do. Like it is it is not an accident that I spent a lot of my childhood and younger years feeling incredibly powerless, that I now work with leaders that really want to take ownership of their power in a way that has a meaningful impact in the world. And agency is that. So let's have a look at agency and leadership. So many women that are in C-suite, you know, I, I've worked with uh, female leaders in the, the top four banks in law, in medicine, in all of the things. Now, these are all very patriarchal structures. And so many of these women want to lead, but they have to lead within a structure that wasn't meant for them, as we've spoken about already. But yet they want to lead from humanity. I think one of the things that COVID taught all of us is that humans connect with humans. I'm sure in the days that you were an employee, your favorite bosses, the favorite leaders were the ones that you felt could be seen that you I felt don't have, I was so I, I've never had a I've never been employed could you imagine you've never been employed well I did want to say yeah just in case I thought maybe I'm unemployable that's why I do this show <laughs> I thought maybe in the early days you may have had a paper round or something in gold is green but um no, no. no okay unemployable from no unemployable one would even employ me to, to no one would even trust me with their paper <laughs> but for those of us that have experienced that, generally the leaders that we want to follow are the ones where we feel that they actually care about us. And that means bringing in a human element. And so many of the leaders that I work with are really looking at that balance between getting the job done and also trusting and caring about the people that work with and for them and having the agency to lead in a style that is in integrity for them as leaders. Finally, Kemi, uh, you mentioned you were a 13-year-old girl without agency. You've obviously done a remarkable job realizing it, seizing it. Um, for a 13-year-old girl today who, has your, who had your background, who doesn't have agency, who's in the power of others, they're obviously be nice if they read your book. Uh, but what else can they do? Uh, if they don't have top coaches like you if they don't have the luxury of that what can many girls in the world today who who, who have lost their agency through no or have never had it through any fault of their own what can they do I believe we go back to community with this question because one of the things that happens in our modern world now is that so many people are siloed and they're individual and we miss out on that generational wisdom and that is free and, you know, I when I moved to Australia, I actually moved in with my in-laws and my children grew up with four generations in one house. Now, there's that 
famous and brilliant African proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. It is great when I run events and there are women of different generations in that room and you have the young child, you have the teenager asking the 30-year-old. The 30-year-old is asking the 40-year-old who's asking the 50, 60. I've had 70-year-old women come to my events. And there's a power in women sharing their stories to be able to say, it gets better. Having children is hard, but it does get better. Or getting into that industry that is not made for you. You know, I'm here to mentor you. It gets better. So I believe that us having dialogues, and that's kind of the power principle of ownership in sharing our stories with each other is a way that we can elevate the power of each other, regardless of external resources. Have conversations and connect with the women around you because they have something to share with you that will ignite and elevate your power.